Well, listen, super glad to see you today. Listen, I've got a gift for you today, but it comes with a condition. Several years ago, I, I wrote a small book called The Bible Simplified. And you know, the Bible is what over, written over several thousand years, 66 books in one book called the Bible, 40-some different authors, but yet it, can, it fits together like a puzzle. And, 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 and there's a central theme that runs through the Bible. And it's the person of Jesus Christ and our means of salvation and redemption. Anyway, uh, I want to I give you one on the way out. If you've not read it, go ahead and pick it up. But, but uh, uh, pick one up, and I want you to give it to somebody at Thanksgiving or Christmas. If you've read it, then give it away. It, but, uh, but let it be something that we can use as an evangelistic tool or help people come to Jesus. And uh, unfortunately, if you're not able to be here, I can't give you one, but you can go to Amazon and pick one up. But if you're in town here, uh, we've got some of these in the connect room. And if you have, for example, you work somewhere where you have a desk or a counter, and uh, we're giving these away free. So, again, it's just an opportunity for people to become acquainted with the Bible. It's an opportunity for people to uh, come close to Christ because I share my own testimony in it. So, anyway, pick those up. And the uh, only thing is if you get one, make sure you keep track of it and keep it stocked. And uh, we'll... We'll reach some people for the Lord together. Praise the Lord. Well, uh, if you've got your Bibles, Matthew chapter 7 is where we're going. Uh, this, we're finishing a series today called Your Best Life Now. And if you missed the series or you want to go back to it, just download our app, Church Search, Church on the Rock, Texarkana. It's got the notes. Actually, to today's message is there. All the messages in, in the series are there together. But there's a couple pictures that kind of convey what it's about. Let me go back to the first picture, if you would, there. This, the, the series, Your Best Life Now, it's what every person wants. I don't care if you live in America, if you live in Timbuktu, you want your best life. In other words, you want to have a, a healthy family, uh, you want to be able to enjoy life, you want to be at peace, you want happiness, you want to be able to have a, a job that provides for your needs. But how many know there's a right way and a wrong way to get it? And uh, this, this next picture, there's two paths that people can follow in life. How many know there's God's way and... Uh, my way, when I'm in rebellion, or the world's way, or whatever you want to call it, good and bad, it's based on Psalm chapter 1. Now, I cannot promise you that God's way is a trouble-free way. Jesus, it almost rhymed, didn't it? A trouble-free way. Uh, Jesus said that, that in this world, you're going to have tribulation. So expect it, even on that path that leads to life. But how many know there's rewards at the end of that path? Uh, this week, I, I saw a text message from one of our missionaries. He sent me some pictures, and right now he lives in a city in Turkey, and an earthquake devastated all but 10% of the city, but yet he still ministers there. It, buildings were destroyed, and they're rebuilding their church there. Well, that's, that's a lot different than what we're sitting in today, and it's been a difficult road, but there's reward that awaits him for obeying the will of God. Well, the world's way, now, in the world's way, it could have nice houses, nice cars, fancy this, fancy that, but if God is not in the center of it, how many know in the end it all burns up, you give it all away, and it has no eternal value? Well, that's what we're talking about. Today, we want to finish focusing primarily on this God's way, and the message is called the narrow path. And I want to go to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 is a part of what is called the Sermon on the Mount, three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, that some people would even say that, it, that those three chapters form the basis of Western civilization. Now, that's, that's a huge statement to think about Europe in its older days and America when we were founded on biblical precepts, you'll find much of what was known as traditional values or the way we lived our lives were found in those verses. Uh, but Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, you can enter God's kingdom. Now, I want you to pause just a moment because I, I want to suggest to you in the strongest terms, there's nothing more important in life than entering the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is both now, when you are saved and become a Christian, you enter the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God is eternal. The kingdom of God lasts forever. There is heaven, there is hell, eternity is real. So God's kingdom literally implies the rule of God. 
The God that created us, the God that sustains us, is the same God that forgives and saves us. And so there's nothing more important than being part of his kingdom. But he says you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. Everybody say narrow gate. You can enter only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is what? Wide. Wide. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide. You have to forgive me, my iPad was messing up and I'm just trying to figure out how to fix it and talk at the same time and I can't do both things together. But anyway, it's working now. Uh, the highway to hell is broad and the gate is wide and this is sad. Many people choose that way. Those are people that reject Christ. Those are people that don't walk in the ways of God, that, that, that go their own way in life. Uh, the many that choose that way, but verse 14 is the good news for us. The gateway to life. This is the gateway to eternal life. Now listen, it's very narrow, and the road is difficult or hard. And listen to this biblical truth. Few people find it. So the question is, will you choose to be one of the few or one of the many? We, we're, we're talking here about two gates. We're talking about two pathways or two roads ending up in two separate places. The narrow path ending up in a real place called heaven. The wide path ending in a real place called hell. Uh, and the Bible says this road to heaven is our great concern. Well, first we talk about the gate. Uh, the gate is Jesus Christ. Jesus said this in John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the gate. In other words, I'm the gateway to God. Those who come in through me will be what? Will be saved. Now, Jesus made an exclusive claim about Christianity because it's very popular today for people to say there's many ways to heaven. It doesn't matter what you believe. Well, in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Three definitive articles, definite articles. The way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Now, this is the uniqueness of Christianity. Why Christianity is superior in terms of salvation to, you pick it, Islam, uh, Buddhism, Confucius, whatever the case is. And not because we are better, it's because Jesus Christ on the cross satisfied the penalty for sins, the sins of humanity. Only Jesus paid a price that satisfied God where our sins could be forgiven. Other religious teachers may offer good teaching and good pre moral precepts, but yet only Jesus pays the penalty for sin so we can be forgiven, so we can receive the righteousness of God in Christ. We don't earn our way into heaven by good works, but we earn them by the grace of God. So Jesus, uh, so becoming a Christian is easy. Let me say it again. Becoming a Christian is easy. Um, <laughs> the Bible says all that's required, three things, ABCs. One is, if you can imagine the gate, turn to God. Turn to the gate. Believe in Jesus. Believe that he died for your sins, that he was buried, rose again three days later, and he's alive today. Believe that and then follow him. So turn to the gate. Believe and follow but the hard part sometimes is following. Sometimes it is difficult, uh, but it's worth it. And today we're going to talk about this narrow gate and this narrow pathway, rather. And first I'll talk to you about what motivates a person to stay on the narrow path of life. Because the narrow path of life includes everything from my character, how I treat my family, uh, how I treat my enemies, uh, what I do with the material resources in my life, uh, my own personal relationship with God, that it's not just intellectual theology, but it is a living, vital, personal relationship. It encompasses our entire lives. Um, so what motivates people, number one, if it's hard, because how many know we live in a world that tells us we want to do what's easy and fun? But here Jesus said, there's a narrow world that's going to be some difficulty in it. The second thing, very practical, how to follow this narrow path. And I found several verses that I think make this, brings this together. And the third thing is the coolest part, obviously, is the reward for doing it. And uh, how many know, as a Christian, I'm not just living for today. I, I saw in our newspaper, uh, kids from Texas High, their football team, won another game. They're going to the state championship. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're headed. They're looking for the prize. 
They're not just living for today. Come on now, they may want to drink Mountain Dew and, and come on chips and beer and everything else, but their coach says, no, you're going to stay ready. You're going to stay in shape because we're going for the gold. Well, how many know, I've got a picture of a couple of guys here that both want to be professional athletes. Now, their sports may be different, but they both want to be professional athletes. But I would imagine that the one eating chips and drinking a Coke is going to end up watching football the rest of his life. Whereas the guy on the right side there is paying a price. Listen now, the narrow path to the NFL, not many people find it, but he's willing to pay the price. I want to suggest to you, this is a picture of how the Christian life is lived. We can either live it on the couch eating chips, watching other people do the things for the Lord, or we can get in the game and walk the narrow path, make a difference with our lives, and reach that place where Jesus looks at us one day and says, well done, good and faithful servant, enter in the joy of the Lord. Well, that's what I want to help you do today. Let's begin first, why would we want to walk on the narrow path? Now, when we think about narrow path, I've got a picture here. We, we, uh, we took our family vacation, went to Colorado this year. Uh, this is near Cannon City. I think it's called Skyline Drive. Uh, and you can't really tell this from the picture, but it's 800 feet above the ground. Uh, it was built in 1905 uh, by prisoners, but it was built for horse carriages and foot traffic. Well, now... My son was a little more daring than me, and uh, so he decides we want to drive on this little road. Now, you've only got about a foot, as I can best recall, uh, on each side of the tires, and can you imagine if you get off the road, uh, you got problems if you're going to fall 800 feet, uh, and, and it, it got worse than that. My son-in-law was driving. But, but guess what? When he got on that road, he was holding on to the wheel with both hands. His wife had to sit in the back so he wouldn't be distracted by her. That's Rebecca on the front row. Uh, we, we, we took, did we tell him if we took his phone away or not? But I guarantee you, we said, you're not going to look at that phone. Your eyes are going to be fixed on the narrow pathway that leads to life because I don't want to experience the hardship of falling down the road. So anyway, we made it, and he's a great driver. But, but I wanted you to get a sense. It was almost breathtaking. It was almost going up that hill. I'm not nuts about heights. And I began to think about Xanax as we, as we, <laughs> as we, 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 drove, we drove up the hill. But anyway, why would anybody want to do something like that? Now, you may be a thrill seeker, but when it comes to living the Christian life, if I could be serious, what, what, should, what motivates us? Now, I want to read two verses in Philippians that was in our Bible reading this week. You know, we have a Bible guide on our app where we, you know, read the Bible uh, structure every day. Philippians chapter 1, verse 10, and, and, and pause on this. I want you to understand what really matters. Now, let me, if I were to ask you today what matters in your life and you look at your to-do list, You've got duck hunting, you know, getting the guns and stuff ready and, and getting the yard ready for Thanksgiving and making sure we got the turkey and having to work whatever three or four days this week and making sure the house gets clean. How I many know all that stuff matters? But it matters this much. It doesn't really matter. And this is what the narrow road talks about. I want you to understand what really matters. Why? So you'll live a pure and blameless life until the day of Christ's return. Jesus is coming back one day, and the narrow road is filled with people who have chosen a pure and blameless life. That doesn't mean a perfect life. I mean, no, there are no perfect folks in this room. Every one of us make mistakes. Every one of us sin. Every one of us get tempted. Every one of us step off periodically of the narrow road onto the wide road. Come on now. Let's be honest. We all do. It's the struggle of human nature. But when we step off the narrow road, we ask God to forgive us, and we get back on it. And that's the object of the Christian life there. But notice verse 27, above all. Well, if you see the phrase above all in the Bible, I'd underline that. Uh, in my Bible, I do. I, I use colored pens and pencils, and I realize something is important coming up. Above all, you must live your life as a citizen of heaven. How many know you can either live as a citizen of heaven, living God's ways by his commands, by his precepts, or you can be living the ways of the world. You can be living the ways of the friend. You can be living the ways of the internet. 
I mean, you know, sometimes I, 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 uh, um, I'm doing a lot of social media. I do a daily devotion each day. And when I turn my phone on to see how it's doing, uh, I mean, they're liable to be F-bombing me right there on TikTok and, 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 just, and doing all sorts of things. And people trying to get you to be your friends. You know, they're 21 years old and they're wearing the clothes of a 10-year-old. You understand what I'm talking about? I mean, this world is out there, and it's pulling us. But the Bible says, live as a citizen of heaven. Listen, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy or that brings honor to Christ. In other words, I live my life reflective of what happened on the cross. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. Jesus loved me so much that he knew my sins would keep me away from God and I would experience eternal judgment. And he literally took on the form of a human being, lived a life, suffered to pay the penalty for sin so I wouldn't have to. And because of that, I am motivated to live in a manner worthy of what he's done for me. Now, let me give you a couple more motivations. We walk on the narrow path because we love God and we fear him. You don't hear much in America today about the fear of God. But let's, let's kind of balance these two. First um, John 4.19 says, we love him because he first loved us. Well, how many know anytime someone's kind to you, you want to be kind back? There's just something about, I don't care if it's the gal giving you your taco at Taco Bell or if it's the person that's working in a store or the doctor that comes into the room. How many know when someone's kind to us, we want to be kind backwards. We can tell sincerity. We can tell if they're genuine in what they're saying or doing. But we love God. It was August 15th, 1976, 47 years ago. When I came to a place in my life where I realized my need for God, I could not fill it with beer and pot and girls and you just name it, going to college, being on a scholarship and having a car and just every, everything that I had on the outside looked great. Something was missing. And when I received the forgiveness of God and Jesus Christ came into my life, it was like I was flooded with the love of God and something changed in me. So God loved me. I love him back. Uh, but, but we also fear God, not in the sense that he's got a fly swatter going to smack us if we get off the narrow road, but we do fear the consequences of sin. There are consequences on the wide path of destruction. There's consequences. Philippians 2 verse 12, work hard to at what? Showing the results of your salvation. In other words, progress in your Christian life. Grow closer to the Lord. Notice what it says, though. We should obey God with deep reverence and fear. Deep reverence and fear. The fear of God. What, what, so I don't fear God himself. I fear the consequences of what I might do. Come on now. And because he is a just and holy God, what I might open myself up to. If, if, if Rebecca's husband had been driving with one finger on that road and seeing how close he could get to the edge, how many know we could have come tumbling down the hill? Um, I don't really fear most cars on the highway, but there's one that I do fear. It has six little letters on it, P-O-L-I-C-E. <laughs> and every time I see one of those, it's a, it's a knee-jerk reaction. My foot lifts off the gas pedal. I don't care how fast I was going. A- anybody else? Yeah, I mean, it's just, a, why is that? Because listen, now listen, there's a five foot five lady that, I don't know, weighs 120 pounds and she's in the car, but she's got a 45 strapped to her side. Come on now. And she's got a badge representing the authority of the state of Texas, of the Bowie County and Texarkana and everybody else. And if she says, get out of the car, buddy, you better get out of the car. The fear How about drinking and driving? I'm not advocating drinking, certainly now, but listen, if you drink and drive, you better have some fear in there before you put that key in there. I don't care how many beers you think you can drink because they pull you over and put on the breathalyzer. How do they do that? Do you know? know, know. Anyway, 
they, they put on the breathalyzer, and if you go over the number, guess what? First of all, you could have killed yourself or killed somebody, but, but you could end up in the pokey. And then if you've done some other wrong things, you better fear the judge because he or she has the power to put you in jail and keep you there. But in and of themselves, if you are living in the boundaries or living on the narrow path, you don't have to fear a police officer because they are your friend. They're not there to hurt you. They're only to there to stop you if you go over the edge. And that's kind of the fear of God. So, again, our motivation is because we understand what really matters eternally, the kingdom of God. We live in a manner worthy because God loved us and we love God and we fear him. But now let's talk practically, how do we follow Jesus on this narrow path? Uh, if that's our desire, how, what do we do? And I want to, you know, again, this could have been a series that lasted for months, but I found three verses that I think encapsulate like an umbrella covers us with this idea of the narrow path. And I want to read these three verses, and then we're going to come back and talk about them. Uh, it's 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14. It says, you must live, let's say, you must live as obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. In other words, stay on the narrow path. Don't get on the wide path. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do. Now, when we say the word holy, it's not a word that we use a lot in our vernacular. We think of a, a, a monk, you know, that's living in a monastery or the nuns and their habits and their restricted lifestyle. But the word holy simply means this, set apart from sin and set apart to God. In other words, when you turn and walk through that narrow gate, you set yourself apart from the world that was on the other side, and you set yourself to follow the Savior on the cross. Do we do it perfectly? No. Do we make mistakes? Yes. Do we sometimes look over our shoulder? Yes. But we constantly are coming back to follow him in this process of sanctification. But you must be holy uh, on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock. Is that what it says? You must be holy in everything you do. You must be holy in the way you live. Your character, your conduct, the way you treat your family, your honesty, the way you treat people at work, the way you conduct yourself at work, uh, what you do for pleasure. Be holy in what you do. Um, uh, just as God who chose you, God is holy, and God is set apart from sin. He's set apart from unrighteousness. He's set apart from wickedness. The scriptures say... Uh, you must be holy because I am, and that's a quote of Leviticus chapter 11. So let's start with ver verse 14. You must live as obedient children. In other words, if I'm going to walk on the narrow path, I need to be willing to do three things. Obey God's commands, obey God's will, and obey God's Holy Spirit. Let's talk first about uh, people on the narrow path obeying God's commands. Now, what comes to mind when I say the commands? Thou shalt not live a happy life. <laughs> Thou shalt not do fun things. You know, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6 that God gives us money to enjoy. Then he says, be responsible with it. But God, God, God listen, the Bible says, Jesus said, hey, I came that you might have life and enjoy it to the fullest. It's called abundant life. So God is not a bummer when he gives us boundaries, you know, just like that, uh, that uh, 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 for obedience. So let's talk about first about God's commands. John 14, 15, Jesus said this, if you love me, what do you do? Obey my commandments. If you, because I love him, I obey him. Because I, do, I love Linnell, I try to make her happy. The other day, I, I, I love to garden, and I'm in my garden and cleaning up all the stuff that's died from the frost, and, and I found some spearmint that had made it through the frost, so I, I, I didn't have a knife, so I just pulled it up, and it had some dirt on the roots, and I bring all that in her perfectly clean, clean kitchen and put it down, and later she came, when I came back in the house, she came running at me with a knife in her hand. <laughs> no, she didn't. 
just as sweetly and kindly as she could say, she said, now you got a mudroom. Why don't you bring the muddy things in the mudroom and we'll take care of them in there. Well, you know what? I'm never going to bring any muddy spearmint into the kitchen. Not because I'm scared of her, but because I love her. Not because she commanded, if you do this again, thou shalt be sleeping on the couch. (laughs) She didn't say that. I just knew that it made her happy. Are you with me? So we love God. First reason is, is we follow God's commands because we love him. But here's another thing. Our obedience saves us from heartache. That little sign on, on the Colorado deal there, danger, uh, that should catch your attention. Because over the edge of that preface, it didn't look like a well-maintained road to me, which means if you have some erosion, how many know if you're close to the edge, you may be too close, it could have washed out under the road. And sometimes what God wants to do is to protect us with his commandments. Um, for example, 1 Thessalonians 4.3, it talks about our sexual lives. It says God's will for, is for us to be holy, so stay away from sexual sin. Now, how many know God has blessed, God created us as male and female. He created the sexual experience not just to have children but to have pleasure, but he placed it within the bonds of marriage. So what do you say? Is God, God is a meanie if I'm not married? No. God wants to protect you from sexually transmitted diseases. He wants to protect you from an unwanted pregnancy. He wants to protect you from the potential of an abortion. And this is a big one. He wants to protect you from bonding with the wrong person. Because in the sexual experience, hormones are released. That's called a bonding hormone. And that hormone makes you feel an attraction towards that person. And God did that so kids could have a mom and dad that would both be in the home and stay together. So God was not trying to make life a bummer for us. And if you still don't believe that, 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 that this is true, try having an affair after you're married and see if it doesn't affect your marriage. Tell your neighbor, those people behind us are quiet now. (laughs) So what does that command do? If I obeyed that command, I would be innocent. Come on. I'd be a virgin when I got married. Or if I had already lived in the world, then I would start afresh and live pure until I got married. And it would save me from a lot of heartache. I'm preaching better than you're amening today. So the first is, is, is this narrow path is obeying his commands. The second is people on the narrow path obey God's will. Now this is different. Hebrews 13, 20. Now may the God of peace equip you with everything for doing his will and doing what's pleasing to him. What is the first petition in the Lord's prayer? Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. And then daily bread. That's the stuff for me. But let me tell you how I want to pray. Now listen, I'll just be honest with you. When I pray, rather than jumping into what God wants to do, I'd first like to say, Lord, I'd sure like to remodel the shed. Uh, Lord, uh, my grandson needs a little healing. He's been sick, Uh, blah, 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 whatever the case is. But but somehow God wants his will to be able to slip above ours. And there's no better example than Jesus himself. In the Garden of Gethsemane, This is just before the night Jesus was arrested. Jesus is there. He went to pray, and he said in Matthew 26, he said, Lord, if it's possible, don't give me this cup of suffering. In other words, somehow Jesus was fully God and fully man. The man looked at the cross and said, I don't, part of me doesn't want to do that. But then he said this. He said, Lord, you do what you want, not what I want. Let your will be done, not mine. And here's the problem with God's will. I don't want to do it sometimes. Now, I've been a Christian 47 years. I, I remember when I entered the, the, the path to vocational ministry, uh, I, I lived, I was raised in Mississippi in the Navy in California. Uh, I was discipled by Linnell's dad. And I felt when I got out, God wanted me to go in the ministry, but not only in the ministry, but he wanted me to be trained under my father-in-law there in California. And I didn't want to do that. And I already schemed a way to get Linnell to move to Mississippi. Are you with me? But I knew it was the will of God. Uh, my wife, I'm so proud of her. 
uh, God's put a missions call on her life. She goes all around the world, literally. But she's not just going with her hand out, come on now, for an offering. She's going to the poorest people around the world, the people that we bring shoes to, the people that we bring food to. She feeds them beans and rice. We preach the gospel to them. We love on them and do this all over the world. Well, guess what? She, she asked me periodically, I got this opportunity. Will you pray about it with me? There's a part of me that says, how long are you going to be gone? I can cook salmon pretty good but I don't want to eat it for three weeks. (laughs) Are you with me? It's not always easy, but when we believe something is the will of God, we say, yes, Lord. And then it brings not only her joy, but it brings God joy, and God gives me grace, and I go out to eat a lot. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. (laughs) Now, let me give you the third one. We obey his commands. We obey his will. We obey his Holy Spirit. Now, here's something in the Bible you might have never seen. Acts chapter 8, Philip is a deacon. He goes to a place called Samaria. They're driven by persecution away from Jerusalem, and a revival breaks out. Supernatural miracles are happening. Verse 29, say this with me. The Holy Spirit said. The Holy Spirit said. So what do you think that was? Now, he didn't tell us how God spoke. It could have been through a prophecy. It could have been through a dream or a vision. But I believe that most likely it was that inner nudge. Uh, How many know there's a difference between our feelings, our thoughts, and the voice of the Holy Spirit? But as we grow closer to God, we learn to discern that voice, and God will call us. And, of course, you know what happened after that. Uh, God told Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. Now, there's this Ethiopian. He's a representative of of the queen from North Africa. So he's a high political figure riding in this fancy Rolls Royce car, so to speak. And, And the spirit says, go talk to that guy. And Philip said, I don't know him. What if he'll laugh at me? What if he won't believe me? He didn't say anything. He didn't make an excuse. You know what the Bible says? He ran to the chariot. And guess what was happening? The guy was reading from the scroll of Isaiah about Jesus Christ and asked Philip, who is this talking about? And Philip pointed him to Jesus, led him to Jesus, got him baptized in water, and then he was on down the road again. So what am I saying? This is our greatest mission. The Great Commission is our mission, friends. And the Holy Spirit, outside his role of sanctification in our lives, wants to use us to do something big in the world for Jesus. Listen, he wants us to be able to send more Bibles to Cuba, more missionaries to India. Are you with me today? He wants this world to be saved. He wants as many people on the narrow path as possible, and you and I are the ones to do it, and the Holy Spirit will guide us if we'll just say yes. Come on, give the Lord a a good hand. I won't take long on this next one, but verse 14, don't slip back into your old ways of living. To satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. Now, many of us, including me, were raised in an environment, good loving family, supportive, people encouraging, but most teenagers were drinking beer and smoking something other than cigarettes and, you know, partying and the back seats were getting fogged up or You're looking so holy in this Sunday second service. And there's a pull to pull you back. Paul said this, 2 Timothy 4. There was a guy named that he traveled with named Demas. He was in love with this present world. He deserted me. In other words, Paul's on the narrow path establishing churches and something from This guy's past pulled him back. Now, it could have been some sinful lust. I mean, it could have been a sexual lust. It could have been greed. It it could have been, uh, I'll just call it selfish ambition or the drive for success. One of the saddest things I've ever seen, I've watched people over the years 
They, they're, they're hungry for God. They love God. They're serving God. And they're struggling to a level financially. But then God blesses them. And after God blesses them, you, you rarely see them anymore. Because money's given the freedom to live an entirely different life. And they still believe in Jesus. But it's like the world has sucked them on the wide path. Come on now. And they lose not their salvation, but they lose their investment of their time, talent, and treasure in the kingdom of God. Listen, friends, if you're going to, some of us today, if you're going to stay on the narrow path of, uh, that leads to life, you're going to have to make some changes in your friends. Now, listen, when I first got saved, I, I was non angelic. Let me just leave it that way. There were some people that I just couldn't hang with. I mean, if you used to pop the top or, 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 or screw the bottle, which is most common now? <laughs> anyway, if, you're, if that's what everybody else is doing when it comes your way, I remember for the first time I drank a beer. Now, my grandfather died an alcoholic on his porch drinking a case of beer a day. And this is not an anti-beer message. It's a factual message. I knew the damage and danger it could do, but I'm in the ninth grade. I'm in a car with a bunch of 12th graders coming back from the district uh, baseball championship that we had just lost, and they stopped by the beer store, and everybody took one, so I felt op obligated, and I pretended to drink, and I didn't drink. I'm telling you the truth now. And then I'd watch them. They'd throw their bottle at a sign or something, and when nobody was looking, I'd throw mine, but mine was full. And then they caught me. If you're going to walk on the narrow path of life, all I'll say is you may need another set of friends. And that doesn't mean you're going to be a holy Joe and leave them behind. Listen, my best friend growing up, after I became a Christian, you know what I did? I went to him and I gave him a Bible. If I love these people, I want to see them on the narrow path of life. But if they don't want to live on the narrow path of life, there comes a point where I can't run with them. Again, I'm not saying you be self-righteous, bigoted, or anything like that. I'm just saying the simple fact is, if you're going to walk the narrow path and people are trying to pull you onto the wide path, you're going to have to make a choice between Jesus and the people you're running with. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Look at verse 15. Now, you must be holy in everything you do. That's a big, big statement. I must be set apart to God. The goal of my life should be to live on the narrow path because it pleases God and he wants to protect me from the, the danger. Just as the God who chose you is holy, the scriptures say be holy because I am. Now, holy life, again, it means a life set apart to God. Set apart to his commandments. Set apart to his will. Set apart to his spirit and set apart from sin. When I enter the narrow door that leads to life, there's some things that I want to leave behind me. Now, obviously, the contrast is a selfish, sinful life. You do whatever you want, whenever you want to do it. Uh, and we've all got this within us. But I don't know about you, but I have something inside me that wants to hear Jesus say, well done, when I see him for the first time. Have you ever, you know been out doing wrong and your parents you know are in the house and they look at you and say what are you doing and you dropped your eyes because you knew it wouldn't have been pleasing but isn't it a whole lot better when your parents say what you've been doing you just get a big grin on your face and just say I've been out shooting hoops or fishing or whatever the case is when Jesus looks at me for the first time I want him to have a big smile on his face and I want him to say John you did a good job while you were down there enter into the joy of the Lord. That's what I'm looking for. And the path of holiness, setting myself apart from the world, apart from the evil things, but apart from the distractions and all the junk in life that keeps me away from God. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand here. That's, that's where your best life is. I'm going to conclude with this, and then I'll have a prayer, and then we're going to have some baptisms if you can stay. Uh, Jesus will reward those, and this is the good part. He'll reward us for staying on the narrow path. Let me, let me, let me, uh, Matthew chapter 25, the whole chapter is about the second coming of Christ, eternal judgments, 
uh, being prepared for eternity. It's, you can say this. It's all about what happens for people that live on the narrow road or the wide road. So when the Bible tells a parable, a parable by definition is a story from everyday life that has a spiritual application. So let's look at this parable and story and see what the application is. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven. Again, this should be our priority, the rule of God. The, uh, uh, it, it, it's, it's heaven now, it's heaven later. But the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by a story or a parable of a man going on a long trip. He called his servants together and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. So what's the spiritual meaning of this? Who's, who do you think the man was going on a long trip? It's Jesus. What, what's his trip? After he ascended, he's been 2,000 years going on a long trip. Well, he entrusted something to his servants. Who are his servants? It's the people who have gone through the narrow gate. And he gave them, in this case, it's money. But I suggest to you, it's our time, our talent, and our treasure. That God has given us all uh, time, he's given us resources, and he's given us abilities and capacity to do something for his kingdom. Time, talent, and treasure. He gives it to us, and then he's gone. Well, verse 16, after a long time, their master returned. And I'm here to tell you, the Bible predicts multiple times that Jesus Christ is coming again. And he's not coming back as a baby in a manger. Come on now. He's coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords. To rule and reign for all eternity. So after a long time, the master returns, and here's the trouble. He called them to give an account of how they'd used his money. Now, we don't have time to read the entire passage, but one guy, he gave five talents. This is a person with extra ability. To one, he gave two. This is kind of an ordinary Joe, maybe like you and I. And to one, he gave one talent. Well, let's look at the guy with five. Um, uh, Verse 20, the servant to whom he had entrusted five bags of silver said, Master, you gave me five bags to invest. I've earned five more. This is like a Tim Tebow who's an athlete. He can play football. He can play baseball. And and when when he threw a touchdown, he lifts his finger to heaven. When when he, he, he hit a home run, at some point, he'd lift his finger. So what is he? His platform or his, his abilities allowed him to be a platform to reach people for Christ. So he did that with his life rather than just saying, you know, somebody makes it, some people, when they make the touchdown, they, you know, kind of look at me rather than look at me. So Tim Tebow was, is like this guy with five, uh, five uh, talents, and he got five more. Well, and notice what the master said, verse 21. Now, this is Jesus talking to you if you have invested your life in his kingdom on the narrow path. He's full of praise and said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. I will give you many more responsibilities. Let us celebrate together. So can you imagine the scene when you get to heaven? And God looks at us for the first time, and he reaches out. He sees Russell for the first time, and he opens his arms up to you, and he puts his hand around you. And he said, I'm so glad that you not only did ministry, but then you used your vocation as ministry and what you did on the mission field and all the people that you fed. You had the heart of God. And he comes up. I'm Miss Bling. You're (laughs) blingified today. I like it. But he comes up to you, and he puts his arms around you, and he calls you by name, and he smiles. And he said, you did what I called you to do with your life. Now, I don't know if there's tears in heaven, but I can't think of a better time that tears would be shed. And he goes right down the line. He goes, and he hugs Steve. He goes, and he hugs Linnell. He hugs Rebecca. He hugs all of us, and we celebrate. And he gives us more responsibilities, which is a way of saying, in heaven, there's going to be something to do, friend. And I don't know about you, but I want to live my life like those kids at Texas High right now that are looking for the state championship. And I want to stay on the narrow road of life because one day I want to be holding that big trophy in my picture in the newspaper. Come on. And I want to have a ring on my finger because it was something that I aspired to over my life. Listen, football will disappear. Trophies will be gone. But that which we do for Christ will last forever. 
and there is a real place called heaven. And the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. So listen, friend, the narrow path may not be easy. It may have some hardship on it. Go ahead and pay the price now. One day, friend, it's going to be compounded in a way, and the reward God will bring to you will be worth it. Come on, give him another big hand today. Jesus is worth all our praise. Let's close with, with, with prayer today. I want everybody just to bow your heads, and I'm going to have two prayers. My first prayer is, is really it's for all of us, but particularly it's for Christians. And the second prayer will be for those of, of us here today that want to go through the narrow gate and become a Christian, dedicate their life to Christ. But for all of us right now, I want you to bow your head. If you're watching online, do the same thing. Just close your eyes, and you're not looking for anything mystical. But it just kind of shuts out the distractions. And what did the Lord say to you today? Did God put his finger on something in your life? Was there maybe a place of where the wide path has captured your attention? Maybe you're convicted about the people you're running with. Maybe you're convicted because you're kind of a Christian couch potato. Don't feel guilty about it. Ask the Lord to forgive you. Do that right now. They say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for, I, I, I know you love me and you're forgiving God, but I don't want to keep going back on that wide path. But I need you to help me. Now, all of us need to pray this. you just reach out to heaven if you're comfortable doing that it's kind of like an act of a child reaching out to their dad and say Lord I need you to help me walk on the narrow path just say it just let the Lord hear you say it Lord give, help me find grace to walk on the narrow path because it's hard temptation is hard my flesh has desires that I know are not right I'm grateful that you love me and you forgive me but I want to live in such a way that I'm not jumping on and off the path. I want to stay on the narrow path. And I want to ask that the Holy Spirit helps me to do that. Welcome, Holy Spirit, today. Just come and fill my life in this area of my weakness and help me to become holy as you've called me to be. In Jesus' name. Now I want to pray for you if you're here today about going through the narrow gate. I've been talking about how to live the Christian life, but how many know you've got to go through the gate before you can live the life? And this is a strange thing. I was raised in a little country Methodist church, and I knew John 3.16 all my life. And when my spiritual moment came, I didn't have to figure out, is it Buddha or Confucius or Jesus or Muhammad or Islam or whatever. I believed in Jesus, but the problem was I'd never turned around and walked through the gate. So what does that mean? It means you make a decision. It's called repentance in the Bible to turn your life over to Christ. It means you make a decision that I'm willing to dedicate my life to follow Jesus Christ. And if you turn to God, that second part member, ABC, you believe in him. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And I believe I can be forgiven by trusting in him. I believe he's died. He was buried in the ground the third day. He rose from the dead. And he's my savior coming to get me. I believe in Jesus Christ. And then I choose to follow him. So if you're here today and say, Pastor John, I'm ready to go through that gate. I want to get right with God. I want to commit my life to Christ today. I am ready to make a decision to follow Jesus. For some, it could be the first time you've ever done this. For others, you could have made a decision as a child or a young person and just have gotten away from God and life got away from you. But you know it's time now to make the turn and come back to Christ. I want to pray for you today. And I'm going to ask you to do something very bold. I'm going to go section by section. And I'm going to ask you if you'd like to commit your life to Christ to just wave your hand at me. You say, well, why, 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 would, we, why would we do that? 
Well, I'll tell you why. First of all, so people can clap with you at the decision that you're making. And they will, believe me. But second is you need to make the step through the door. And it's that first step of turning to Christ. And people will clap for you and then we'll pray for you at the cross. And my friend, because here's what I know. If I can't stand up for Jesus Christ in a church where people are clapping, how can I ever stand up for Christ in the world? So let's start with this section over here. If you're here today and say, Pastor John, I want to get right with God today. I want to go through that narrow gate and be saved. I want you to pray for me. Would you just lift your hand? Anybody in this section? I see a young woman's hand. God bless you, dear. God bless you. Others in this section say, pray for me. I see a hand in the back there. Give him a big hand. God bless you. Others in this section say, pray for me. I want to get my life right with God today. Anybody here today say, pray for me. I want to get my life right with God. I want to get my life right with God. I don't want to stay the way that I am. I'm going through the gate, which is Christ. Anyone here today, I'm unashamed to stand for Jesus. Give her a big hand. God bless you. That man, give him a big hand. God bless you too, sir. Give this young woman, uh, give her a big hand here. I see you. God bless you. Others others in this section, three people here. Any, any here, say, pray for me. Give her a big hand today. God bless you, young lady. You're never too young to come to Christ. Anyone else, say, pray for me. I need to get right with God. I need to get right with Anyone here today, say, pray for me. I need to get my life right with God today, and I want to do it right now. I see an usher has a hand lifted there. Give, yeah, pointing at somebody. Give them a big hand. Give them a big hand. Anybody in this section, say, pray for me. Yeah, I see a hand in the back there. Give them a big hand. Anybody else, say, pray for me. I, I see another hand. God bless you, sir. Any others that are here today? All right, let's all stand to our feet right now. Give them one more big hand. And I want to ask all of you that raised your hand now, come make your step, second step. Come to the cross and let us pray for you right now. Come on out of your chair. Slip out of your chair. Bring your, your spouse with you. Bring your friend. Come on, give them a big hand as they come. Come into the cross, praying with the pastor committing your life to Christ. You're turning your back on the wide path of destruction. You're choosing the narrow path of life. We are proud of you today. Even if you didn't raise your hand, come on down to the front. Here's more that are coming in this section. Give them a big hand today as they come. Others today, I need to get my life right with God. I see, I see two men walking down the aisle here. Give them a big hand as they come. Others, come on to the cross and let us pray for you right now. Praise the Lord. They're gonna, they're gonna listen guys, we're, we're super proud of y'all. God bless you, man. Give him a big hand. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. Listen, hey, that, that's worth coming to church for, wasn't it? Now, listen, if you're watching online and you committed your life to Christ, there should be a number on the screen. If you'll text that, we'll send you some things to help you grow spiritually. Here's a dear lady right here making her way down the altar. Give her a big hand. Come on and just slip over and follow with him if you're able to. Uh, somebody, you want somebody to help you walk over? Okay, all right. We'll just take a second. Let me ask you to do this. We're going to baptize, they tell me, 10 people. If you can stay a little longer, just be seated. If you need to leave, I understand. But let's celebrate with these that are making this public profession of their faith in Christ right now. Anyways, let's be quiet and let's uh, go ahead, Pastor Cole, and he's going to baptize there about 10 of our brothers and sisters in Christ.